It has already been a great day to be in the house of the Lord. Thank you again to our guest worship leader, uh, Brother Moore. Thank you for leading us in uh, this weekend, the Reengage Conference. And uh, uh, we started today with a baptism. So it's been a great day. And you'll get to see at the end of the service when we present the new members, uh, Glenn, and Glenn, Glenn and Glenda Cobb, who were baptized. But um, I, I, what a great time to stop and thank those who labor so hard behind the scenes, literally behind the scenes, with video switching and cameras and technology. We did the baptism in the sanctuary, broadcasting it in real time right here in, in the rock for everybody to see, which to me was like a, a, a technological marvel, but I realized it's generational. So my 11-year-old at breakfast this morning, I was like, say, oh, there's a baptism. She's like, well, how are you going to do that? There's no, like, baptistry in the rock. I'm like, yeah, we're going we're gonna to do it in the sanctuary and broadcast it in real time into the rock. She's like, well, yeah. I was like, that's impressive! <laughs> but to her generation, like, yeah, that's, that's normal. We touch screens and things appear, and it's magic. Anyway, uh, what a, but what a great day to celebrate what God is doing in the life of our church. Today we're going to be in Isaiah chapter 42. And not only in the life of our church, but in our community, right? I mean, you, you know, Miss Rebecca prayed over these teachers and administrators and students and faculty and staff. It's a big week ahead. You need some encouragement. And I want us to see what Isaiah has to say about that chapter 42. Are you there? Isaiah 42, we'll start in verse 1. <clears throat> some context, Isaiah, remember, is trying to encourage now some exiles in the future. So, He's writing this, and he sees 100, 150 years from now, there's going to be a group of people in exile in Babylon. They're prisoners. They're slaves. They've been taken from Jerusalem, and now they need to know God has not forgotten you, and God is going to do something about your situation. And he's not just going to do something about your situation, Israel. He's going to do something about the whole world. Isaiah 42, verse 1. He's been sort of in a courtroom battle. Uh, uh, he imagines, okay, let's have all the idols. Let's have all the false gods come into the courtroom, and let's see who's really God. Bring your witnesses. Bring whatever you want. And then he gets to 42. He says, okay, my turn. Behold, he says, Isaiah 42, 1. Behold, my servant. Now, we are introduced in Isaiah 42, 1 to this mysterious character known simply as the servant. And we're going we're gonna to see this character here, and there's, Isaiah calls them, I mean, scholars call them four servant songs in Isaiah. There are four songs here, the most famous one's probably Isaiah 53, all about the servant. Here you have it. Now, uh, a servant is not hard to understand. There's, no, there's nothing tricky about that. That means exactly what you think. A servant is a man or a woman who has one job, and that is to get the will of the master done. Whatever the bidding of the master, the service job is to carry that out, to be the executor of that will, to get it done. Here, and I'll say one more word about servant, and then we'll, we'll move on. Here is where probably this is what makes this message tricky. For those of us who are Christians, uh, we've read the end of the book, right? So for those of us who are believers, we follow the New Testament, and so we have a pretty good indication. We have a pretty clear idea of who exactly this servant is. That's what makes this message tricky. I want us to imagine we're hearing it like the first hearers heard it. Imagine you're in exile. The year is like 550, 600 years before Christ, and you're looking around, and you hear God announce through the prophet Isaiah, behold my servant. Who is this servant? 
what's this servant like? What are the characters? What are the, what are the characteristics? What's the calling on this servant? And it's, it's good application for us today, for any of us who would be a servant of God. For anyone here who says, make me a servant. I want to serve God. Well, what are the characteristics for the one who would be the servant of God? Here is a pattern of ministry for anyone who would like to see the will of God carried out on the earth. And so, I want you to see a couple things here, and if you're a note taker, rejoice. I've not only given you things to write down, I have given you things to write down in outline format. This like never happens. Okay, Roman numeral one, the character of God's servant. Every now and then you gotta take care of the left brain people who love to take their notes, go home, put them in a spreadsheet. If that's you, like this is your day. Roman numeral one, the character of God's servant. And yes, there will be a sub point A, B, and C as we look at the character of God's servant. Look at the rest of verse one. My servant whom I uphold, what's uphold mean? It means that this servant is a person who depends on God. God upholds him. My chosen, what does that mean? As an anointed called by God, in whom my soul delights. What does that mean? In whom God is well pleased. It means this servant is loved by God. I will put my capital S spirit upon him. Ah, it means he'll be filled with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit will somehow rest upon this person. And last but not least, we will see exactly what the will of God is that the servant carries out. He will bring forth It's a great Hebrew word here, kids. If there's kids in the room, I want you to say it as loud as you can. Repeat after me. You ready? The word is justice. The Hebrew word is mishpat. Mishpat. Isn't that good? Kids, let me hear you. One, two, three. Mishpat. Very good. He will bring forth mishpat to the nations. What's the deal? Why do I make a big deal? Because you're going to see this mishpat show up many times. No fewer than four times in these verses. What's the idea? When we think of justice... We think of it in a very small sense. We think of justice as, you know, getting getting made right. Like like you go to court and this guy owes you money and you get justice, right? They had to pay the money plus interest. Now there's justice. We're square. You get retributive, you know, justice, right? The idea is, okay, now we're we're even. Now things are squared up. But mishpat is so much more than that. Mishpat, what, what God wants done on the earth is not just justice where the wrongs are made right in the courtroom. He wants a world where there are no courtrooms because you don't need them, because nobody's, nobody's doing wrong by each other. People are, there's this sense of wholeness, this sense of another Hebrew word, shalom, nothing missing, nothing broken. There's a sense that, that yes, things, the world has been set to rights, and that's what he's going to do, and not just for one little select group of people, to the nations. Remember, everywhere in Isaiah, you see nations. That word means n- non-Jews, Gentiles, right? So he, he wants to, he wants justice carried out globally. He wants the whole world. Well, this is obviously a, this is no small task. I mean, that's what even a great leader, even a great president or a great king can't create mishpat in a kingdom, and yet he wants this to happen to the whole world. Y'all, this is not just mission difficult. This is mission impossible. How are we going to get mishpat? How are we going to get justice for the whole world? There's even a, there's an old cliche that we make fun of. You hear people say this, right? There's, I don't know, political fighting or you see fighting and somebody will eventually say what why can't we all just get along right we laugh at that why because we know we can't just get along we can't have a world well that's exactly what God's servant is supposed to do when you pray the Lord's prayer our father who art in heaven hallowed be thy name thy kingdom come thy will be done on earth just like it gets done in heaven make earth a little 
copy of what's going on in heaven right now. Perfect justice, nothing missing, nothing broken. Well, come on. How, how are you, how are you, how are you going to possibly going to do that? How would any leader, how would anyone create that kind of justice? I'll tell you how. You hit the campaign trail. You put your message on blast. You get it in the media. You make sure you get all the swing states to go your way, right? How do you get influence in 2020? How would somebody try to go carry out getting justice spread across the nations? You'd yell. That's what you'd do. You'd dominate the message. You would, you would uh, 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 create a one-world government or create some new model of education. You would get influence. You would have to get power. You would have to get a following. You would have to build a platform. Above all, you'd have to get influence. And what is influence in 2020? Social media. It's Instagram followers. You'd have to blow up social media. You'd have to be an activist for change. And above all, in a campaign season, we have learned this. If you haven't learned it already, above all, if you want to win, if you want to get your agenda across, you've got to control the narrative. You've got to get a hold of the media. You have got to make sure you manipulate the message and you shout down your opponent's message so that your message comes across. It doesn't matter if it's seen as bullying. It doesn't matter if it's seen as loud. It's the only way to get anything done is to control the message. Is that how the servant does it? Verse 2. He will not cry aloud or lift up his voice or make it heard in the street. When it comes to God's servant, there is nothing of the showman or the promoter. There is nothing of the bully or the power broker or the strict negotiator leveraging and manipulating. There's nothing of the manipulator. He will not cry aloud or lift up his voice or make it heard in the street. If you're going to talk about the character of this servant, the first thing you've got to write down is his quietness. Write down his quiet humility. In the character of God's servant, the first thing I want you to see here is his quiet humility. Doesn't this go against everything we're taught about building influence and building power and getting stuff done? I mean, don't you have to go out there and build a platform? Don't you have to go out there and cultivate? Don't you cultivate a following? People even use that word, cultivate a following, as in bring them along. Get them on your side. Get them onto your platform. There's none of that here. So much of leadership now is think what you could become. And on the one hand, I go, oh, that's good. Realize your potential. On the other hand, I hear a serpent in a garden looking at two humans going, think what you could become. There's a dark side to this. this. This domineering kind of, shouting everyone else down. But here it says the person who gets God's will actually done will actually have a quiet humility. No self-promotion. <laughs> it's, like, uh, it's like they're perfectly okay with anonymous getting all the credit for the stuff they did. You know? They're fine with that. They just go right about their business quietly, humbly serving God. I heard, a, I heard a somebody say a great quote. God's artists don't sign the pictures they they create. God's artists don't have to sign every picture they create. And I would tell you who said that, but I think ironically it would undo the larger point that, that it's just funny to me that if I quoted, okay. Somehow he gets the king's purposes done I really, tell me how. In 2020, he gets the job of the king done, the will done. He doesn't mow people over. He doesn't blow them, you know, uh, 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 crush, crush them with his messaging. He, he, he uses, the, he gets the king's purposes without the king's method. How? Let's keep going. 
A bruised reed, verse 3, he will not break, and a smoldering wick, here a faintly burning wick, he will not quench. The point here is obvious. A bruised reed, he will not break. A faintly burning wick, he will not quench. The the point here is people do not, in fact, mend broken reeds. They do not take time to clean up smoldering wicks. Just the opposite. When, When was the last time you were at a pond or a lake? And you saw a reed, you're standing there on the bank, and you saw a reed, and that reed, that reed was a bruised reed, right? It wasn't completely snapped off, but it was bruised. It, was in, it had a contusion, maybe internally, that had somehow made it bent over. When? I mean, did any of you? Did I? Did any of you? Stop everything, kids! I will hold this reed in a proper position until one of you goes and gets a splint. We'll wait for the medevac chopper. We've got to splint it. Does anybody do that? In fact, if I think about it, the most natural inclination most of us have is just break it on down the rest of the way, right? Throw it away, right? Why? You, did you, were you going to do that too? You're so twisted like me. I know. I don't know, right? Right? The fact is we don't worry about that. If you're at your dinner table and you notice your candle begins, because you have candlelight dinners every night, and uh, you, <laughs> you notice that uh, the candle is, is, is kind of smoldering and, ah, oh, the wick is down all the way and it's just kind of smoky. You don't perform candle surgery, right? I need 20 cc's of wax, stat, bring it in here. Let's adjust the wick and let's get, no, you snuff it out and you go get another one, right? What's he saying? God's servant is not like that. God's first, God's servant's inclination, a bruised reed, he will not break. You got Sennacherib in Assyria. You got uh, uh, Nebuchadnezzar and folks like him in Babylon. You're about to have Cyrus from Persia. They just mow over <laughs> bruised reeds. They just, they, they smolder. They, they put out all the candles of the nations on their march to power. They trample over everybody. He said, yeah, my servant isn't like that. Notice the compassion of God's servant. And if you would be the servant of God, not only that quiet humility, but that compassion What does this mean? A bruised reed he will not break. A a smoldering wick he will not snuff out. It means the servant of God is, y'all, he is drawn to the hopeless cases. To the one who feels so fragile, he loves you. To the one who says, I'm broken, he loves you. To the one who says, I've been abused, he loves you. To the beaten and the broken down, and they're dying inside, and here's the worst part, There are bruised reeds who have internal contusions. Their insides are bruised. Outside they look fine, but inside, can I just, not to put too fine a point on it, can I just claim that in all likelihood there are people in this room right now who are bruised reeds. Or you're watching me online, or you will watch this. More likely, in fact, you will watch this online, and you're a bruised reed, and you would say, I have been wounded, I have been hurt, and I bet I know what comes next. And the worst part of all, who hurt you? You were hurt by somebody in the house of God. You were hurt by somebody in the church. That's the worst part of all. That's what really makes a bruised reed. See, this isn't a person without a relationship with God. There's a little smoldering wick. There's but it's bruised, which means what? Which means at some point, part of the family of God, part in a big group of reeds, they were standing together somewhere along the line. He said, she said, we got sideways, this person and that, and and I haven't been back. I haven't been back. Why? You're a bruised reed, and you need to hear the word of the Lord. You've got to hear this word. A bruised reed, he will not break. A smoldering wick, he will not snuff out. 
I love seeing people come to faith. I love seeing people come to Jesus. I get chills because, you know, I'm a preacher, and so this is like watching, like, you know, old, old film of old, you know, if you're an athlete, you watch these great old athletes and the gifts God gave them. Well, if you're a preacher, you watch Billy Graham crusades back in the day, and he'd give an altar call, and you just see these, these people coming to Christ. You see these people flooding the altar. Um, so cool. I love that. Here's what, and I don't know how to figure this out. I don't know how we could do this, but you know what I'd love? What about a, like a, a bruised reed campaign? where you preach the good news, you preach Isaiah 42, you say a bruised reed, and you welcome back to God. Everybody who's, I'm a bruised reed, I've been hurt, these people hurt me, but I'm coming back to God. I'm coming back into the house of faith. It doesn't have to be this, I mean, be, I'm not saying in particular church, I'm saying in general, there would not be enough stadiums, I'm convinced. You couldn't house all the souls that would want to say, I need to come back to Jesus. I'm a bruised reed, and I hear the good news. A bruised reed, he will not, discard. He will not just snuff out that smoldering wick. Others, you would say, it's not that I've been hurt. It's that I've just lost my passion for God. You're a smoldering wick this morning. You used to, you'd say, I used to burn so brightly for God, and I was ablaze for his glory. Now, I'm I barely hanging on. There's just a little puff of smoke, if anything, and I need to be reignited. I feel like I'm over the hill. I'm, I'm used up. One commentator pointed out the bruised reed means internally you've lost all strength. The, the smoldering wick means externally you've run out of the fuel. <laughs> so whether your problems are resources internal or out, the point is he can mend you. He has compassion. And note, note one more thing. Look at, look at not only the quiet humility and the compassion, but he will faithfully bring forth mishpat. He will get it done. It will be a long obedience in the same direction. But mark my words, the servant of God will not quit. He will not grow faint or be discouraged. You can't see it here in English as well, though some of your Bibles will have a footnote. Grow faint is smoldering, discouraged is bruised. It's a little, see, bruised reed he won't break, smoldering wick he won't snuff out, but he himself, the servant, is going to face that same, he's going to face that same struggles. He's going to go through that same stuff. The difference is he's going to persevere through it until justice is done, until he's established justice in the earth. The coastlands wait for his law. Some of you have a footnote, for example, discouraged, it'll tell you, or bruised. That's, that's what it means. He's going to face it. Difference is he's going to persevere through to the other side. What's the point? The character of God's servant, his quiet humility, his compassion, and his faithfulness. His faithfulness. The, the, God is saying, my servant will be marked by the staying power of the Holy Spirit upholding this person. The broken and the battered, the bruised reed and the smoldering wick are not going to be immediately overnight. Everything's going to be fine because of some glitzy, glamour-filled mega program, but by the quiet, painful, compassionate, step-by-step, day-by-day when nobody sees it and it's anonymous and it's behind the scenes and you roll up your sleeves and you actually get into the mess of people's lives and nobody knows about it, but you do it day after day after day after day and eventually over a long obedience in the same direction, mishpat, justice, that's how the servant's gonna carry it out. He's not gonna quit. It's not a flash in the pan. He is light, not lightning. You understand? Uh, this has happened in our church, by the way. I can testify of the quiet, humble faithfulness of people who do ministry, and you would never know. And the only reason I got to find out about it was because I happened to be in the right place at the right time. This happens over and over again. I will perhaps find myself at the home of a, a shut-in, say an elderly couple. They can't get out. They can't, or they're in a nursing home or something. I'll go by, and what do I see? I see a bulletin from Coleman First Baptist. I see a newsletter. I see some fresh-cut flowers. I say, well, oh, yeah, 
you know, so-and-so from the church, you know, he comes by. You know, he comes by every week just to check on us, pray with us. No, I didn't know that. And then I'll, I'll go from there and I'll go somebody else. And I'll be like, oh, yeah. I said, man, your lawn looks nice. Yeah, you know so-and-so from the church. You know they come by and cut that. That's just what they do every I'm, I, mean, I don't want to embarrass anybody, but I'm looking at some of you. This quiet faithfulness, and not once did they put it on Instagram. I'm a servant of the Lord. <laughs> they just do it quietly. Why? Because they're taking on the character of God's servant. It's being reproduced and replicated in you. You're doing that. That's faithfulness. I want you to notice, see that. Of course, if you see it so much that you tell everyone, found out today how humble I am. <laughs> like the, we'll have to start over. But you get it, right? The quiet. Don't, don't you understand? This is not put it on blast for the world to see. This is not, I, I, you know, I need to get promoted. Can I put it in really direct terms? This is the difference between telling someone you'll be praying for them and actually praying for them. If you would be God's servant, cultivate gentleness, quietness, humility, compassion, faithfulness. Now, now that we've seen the character of God's servant, skip down to verses six and seven. I want you to see point number two, the calling of God's servant. And not for nothing, I put that in Roman numerals and like, it is all I could do to put this in an outline. But guys, you not only got the character of God's servant, you got the calling of God's servant, you also got this morning alliteration. This is all I got, okay? Like, you may not see this. You know, like, you gotta go out and look at the comet because you may not see it for another 160 years. You may not see this again, folks. Okay, okay, okay. The calling of God's servant. What is this servant supposed to do exactly? Well, in verse six, God talks directly to the servant and he tells him, I am the Lord, I have called you in righteousness. Here's what's going to happen. I will take you by the hand and keep you. Okay? I will give you as a covenant for the people. What? A light for the nations. Now what on earth I will give you as a covenant for the people? Remember, I'm trying to ask you to hear this as the first Israelites would have heard it. Wait a minute, wait a minute. This servant that God's talking about, he's going to give, is going to be a covenant for the people. A light for the nations. We've got covenants with God. I mean, God has made his covenants with us. We're, we're here in exile, so clearly we've obviously broken the covenants with God. And yet this, this servant is going to be the covenant. That's crazy. I, you guys have covenants, by the way. All of you are in covenants. You have a lease agreement with somebody. That's a covenant. You have a, a, a loan, a, a, a car loan or a mortgage. That's a covenant. You agree to give me all this money to buy a house? I agree to pay you this much money each month called a mortgage. That's all it is. It's a covenant, right? So the Israelites can imagine a covenant written in stone tablets. That's the Ten Commandments. And they can imagine an oral covenant like the one God gave with Abraham. But this guy is the covenant. What's he going to do? I can imagine a covenant written in ink. Is he going to write a new covenant in his own blood? And a light to the nations. In other words, God does not just, aren't you glad? God does not just say, I'm only going to save these people. God chose the Jewish people to what? To be a light to the nations. They need revelation. Why? Specifically, and here we get to specifics, this servant is going to do the two things we need most. If we're going to have justice, if we're going to have mishpat, there are two, we've got to undo the curse, and it has two main manifestations. This is what Satan has done to people. This is what sin has done to people. Look at verse 7. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to send you on a mission. First, you're going to open the eyes that are blind. Got it? You're going to give sight to the blind. Second, 
You are going to bring out the prisoners from the dungeon. You're going to set the captive free. You're going to give sight to the blind. And if you were to put those things together, what would you have? You'd have the third one. From the prison, those who sit in darkness. I love that. They're blind. They're in prison. And thirdly, they're blind and in prison. (laughs) Any questions? Can't put it any clearer. You're blind and you're in prison. Listen, listen. You may not be in a literal dungeon in Coleman, Alabama in 2020, but there are dungeons of sin. There is dungeons of uh, uh, fear, of anxiety, of grudge, nursing hatred toward others. Oh, listen, here's how this always happens. Listen, you got to get this. This has been Satan's plan from the beginning. This is how it always works. I need especially, I need children to hear this, but I need grown-ups to hear this. First, sin blinds. Then, sin binds. You can take that to the bank. First, sin blinds. Then, it binds. That's how it always happens. Think back to the Garden of Eden or just think back to the last decision you made that you really regret. Either way will work. What happened? In the Garden of Eden or the last time you did that sin that you are, it is killing you, you regret it so much, what happened? I'll tell you what happened. First he blinded you, then he bound you. First the blinding. Before the sin, there's always a blinding. He's not trying to bind you at this point. He can't. You can see him. Who? There's an expression. That guy robbed me blind. What's the point of that expression? I didn't see him. Otherwise I would have stopped him. Hmm? First The blinding. He's not binding. He's blinding. And you're in the blinding stage when you're in temptation. When he told you, it's not that big a deal. Listen, you got to go along to get along. Come on, everybody's doing it. It, 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 Come on. There are no consequences for your action. You're different. Everybody else will reap what they sow, but not you because you're special. See, you're different. What is that? That's blinding. How did it go in Genesis 3? Blinding. Serpent walks up to Adam and Eve. When they're, they're in front of the forbidden fruit, and what does the serpent say? Y'all. Did God really say? That's his tongue. For the kids. Did God really say you're going to eat from any tree in the garden? Seems to me he's holding out on you. What's he doing? He's blinding. He's blinding them. Then when they ate from the forbidden fruit, bound. Wages of sin is death. Man reaps what he sows every time. First he blinds you, then he binds you. What hope, if you are blind and bound, what hope do you have? Only one, a servant who is not blind, who is not bound, who has compassion on you and will give sight to your eyes and free you from that prison. That's it. Your only hope is God's servant. Okay, we've come to the end. We've put this off long enough. We have to ask one final question. Who then is this servant. We've studied the character of God's servant, the calling of God's servant, and finally, the identity of God's servant. It's identity, but I couldn't think of a C word. The identity of God's servant. What's it going to be? Who is it? Again, I know it's a tricky sermon because I want you to imagine your ancient Israel and imagine you're the exiles and you hear, behold my servant. God is going to send the servant. He's going to bring justice and a light to the Gentiles. He's going to set the prisoner free and he's going to give sight to the blind. You're scratching your head. Well, who in the world? I mean, it's not Hezekiah. No. I, you, y'all, I think the only answer is, who is the servant? You're looking around 550 B.C., 600 B.C. It doesn't make a lot of sense, but I guess, I guess the only candidate would be it's it's us. It's Israel. It's the people of Israel. Why? 
Because God has called us his servant. You can look multiple times in the Bible. He, call, he calls God, Israel his servant. He calls Israel his son a lot of times. If you go back literally one chapter, go back to 41.8, like exactly a chapter ago, he calls Israel his servant. And so you're looking around going, maybe he's describing, it doesn't sound like us, but, but you, Israel, my servant, Jacob, whom I have chosen, the offspring of Abraham, my friend. And in a way, that makes sense, doesn't it? Israel was supposed to be God's servant. They were supposed to be obedient to him in faithful humility. They were supposed to serve God in such a way that they created such a society of mishpat that all the Gentiles would look in and go, man, we want that. Yeah, we want to come and serve Yahweh. We want to serve the God of the Israelites. And eventually, when the Gentiles get in, they will spread the good news to the coastlands, to the utter ends of the earth, and we would have this whole world of shalom, of mishpat. The Israelites were supposed to do that that what's the problem just one problem they, they didn't get the will of God done on that one uh, the, 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 the servant is supposed to be, feel God's delight be quiet gentle faithful persevering never falter become discouraged and Israel has been nothing but resentful complaining fearful dismayed blind deaf and disobedient God says this very thing if you go to chapter 42 19 I need this servant to give light to the eyes, to free the blind and to pull them out of a dungeon. Well, who, and here he's talking about Israel again. He says, the pro, who is blind but my servant? Or deaf is my messenger whom I send? Who is blind as my dedicated one or blind as the servant of the Lord? I, the reason Israel can't be the servant to free the blind from darkness is they themselves are blind. They themselves are in a dungeon. The, the short answer is, and you'll see this in Isaiah, sometimes he talks about the servant Israel. Sometimes he's clearly talking about someone else. And this someone else, though, is connected. Watch this. Listen carefully to this. I wrote it down because I, I wanted to get it exactly precise. The servant in this passage must be a figure who embodies all that Israel ought to be, but is not. I'll say it again. The servant has to be somebody who embodies everything Israel was supposed to be, but is not. So, who is it? If it's not, if it's not Israel, they look around and they go, this, this can't be us. We obviously cannot be the ones to free the people in bondage. Hello, we are literally right now in exile. We are literally in bondage, so it can't be us. So I think, I think somebody nominates somebody else. I think somebody says, no, it's talking about a specific person. And because they keep saying him, I assume this, it's talking about a, a guy. We've narrowed it down. Okay, I think... Um, Isaiah is a prophet of the Lord. He's a servant of the Lord. I think the servant is Isaiah. Yeah. Well, immediately, the first time somebody in, you know, Sabbath school is sitting around in Babylon talking around, I think it might be Isaiah, 20 people immediately point out the obvious, and that's this servant is supposed to carry out God's will to the ends of the earth. Isaiah can't even reach his own people. This servant is going to bring justice to the world. Isaiah, his own people, his own people don't even listen to him. So it can't be Israel. It can't be Isaiah. So who is it? Who's left? Who can be this servant? We're introduced to it in chapter 42. Well, this exact question. You know how sometimes you have to work your way around as a preacher and get close enough? This is not that. This exact question question gets asked one time in the Bible about these verses. And so I had to show great restraint, but I'm only going to give you one New Testament cross-reference. Because we get this question asked literally in the New Testament, 
And we get to watch the answer unfold before our very eyes. And it's in Acts chapter 8, verse 32. If you'll turn there, I'll put it up here on the screen, and I'll set up the background. There's a high-ranking Ethiopian official. He was actually an Ethiopian eunuch who served in the uh, 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 royal household of Candace, the queen. And he had heard about God, apparently, and wanted to know more about the God of the Israelites, Yahweh God. And so he had traveled all the way to Jerusalem. This is shortly after the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus and the ascension of Jesus. He has gone to Jerusalem, and he's on his way back, and he's in a chariot, and he must have, well, he must have been very wealthy himself or had access to great wealth because he has a copy of something very rare and very precious. He had his own copy of the Bible. He had his own copy of the Word of God. Now, there's a big difference in the copy we have. The Bible, obviously, the Bible he had and the Bible you had. The Bible you have today is on a glowing screen that you can scroll. The Bible, they, or maybe you have a, what do you call those? Where you, paper. Or, back then, they didn't have that. They had a scrolling. Actually, it's funny. In a way, the iPhone is scrolling. It's ancient, modern, so meta. But anyway, you, you, my point is simply this. They didn't have chapter verse. That's all I'm trying to say. They didn't have chapter verse. So they had big sections of scripture on these scrolls, and they would be broken into chunks. This would have been the servant songs of Isaiah. So he's reading the prophet, but he wouldn't have said, now this is 42 and this is 53. He would have just been reading it, right? All one passage. And those of you who know this story, but he's confused. He's looking at it. He's like, oh, I can't figure this out. Those of you who know this story will know the full details. They're very funny. Those of you, so I'll just say with a wink that uh, the apostle Philip happened to be at the right place at the right time. I'll just say that. The fact of the matter is an angel told Philip, see that chariot moving at presumably chariot speed? Yes, Lord, why? I need you to run alongside that chariot and stay level with its pace. They did not teach running in apostle school. <laughs> that's okay, that's okay. Mount up, wings as eagles. We got this, Isaiah 40, 31. So he goes and he runs, and he, as he's running, right, he sees the guy reading the Bible. This would be like if you walked into Books a Million and you saw somebody in the Bible section and they had the Bible open and they were like, you know, and you walked up like, um, sorry, I none of my business, but do, do you understand what you're reading? Or could, could I help? Do you have any questions? Could I help? It's that kind of thing, right? Philip's running up next to him, and what does he say? Could you slow down the chariot? That we, that we don't have a record of that, but I, at some point, he asks him, do you, uh, do you know what you're reading? And the guy's like, I am, that is incredible. That is so funny you're here. It's like a coincidence, or is it? Or is God doing something and not signing his work? At any rate, it's so crazy you're here. I, I have no idea what I'm reading, and I got one big question. Well, what are you reading about? I'm reading in the servant songs of Isaiah. Now, verse 32. Now, the passage of Scripture, remember passage means large context. So he's in the servant songs of Isaiah. He happens to be in 53. It's probably the most famous. Now, the passage of Scripture he was reading was this. Like a sheep he was led to the slaughter, and like a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he opens not his mouth. You see that? See the quietness? No shouting loud in the street? Opens not his mouth. See the, hum see the humility? In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Isn't that something? He brought justice for everybody else, but he didn't get it for himself. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. And the eunuch said to Philip, about whom I ask you? I got one question. Here I am, an Ethiopian eunuch, and, and back home, my pastor's been in a series on Isaiah for 86 weeks. And I got one question, Philip. 
I've come to this servant. I don't know who this servant is, but I've narrowed it down to two. Is it the prophet himself? Who is it? Who does the prophet say about this? Is he talking about himself or about someone else? And Philip said, oh, let me tell you. Let me tell you. Let me roll you back to the start of this context you've been reading. And Philip, verse 35, opened his mouth and beginning with this scripture, he told him the good news about who? Say it. About Jesus. He said, oh, let me tell you. Let me tell you. God said he'd send a servant and, and, and in this servant, his delight would rest. Let me tell you about my Jesus. Let me tell you that at his baptism, the sky rolled back. And this fellow, Jesus is Nazareth. You heard the very voice of God look down and say, Behold my son in whom I'm well pleased. Now this servant, according to Isaiah 42, says the Spirit's going to rest upon him. And let me tell you about my Jesus in Nazareth. At his baptism, the Holy Spirit came down like a dove and rested upon him. He was chosen. He was anointed. Let me tell you about my Jesus. He didn't cry loud in the street or try to dominate the public discourse. Let me tell you about my Jesus. Every time he'd do a healing... He'd heal somebody and say, now keep it on the down low, would you? He would heal somebody and say, now don't tell anybody. And Matthew chapter 12 says about my Jesus that he did that. He healed somebody and said not to say anything. Go look it up, Matthew 12, that the prophet's words might be fulfilled. He will not cry loud in the street. So let me tell you about my Jesus. He would occasionally come upon a broken reed or a smoldering wick. And let me tell you what he would do to people that the whole world would throw out. He met a broken reed at a well over in Samaria, and it was a woman that the world said was garbage. He didn't break her. He gave her a whole new life. Let me tell you about a smoldering wick, the nastiest, meanest old man you ever met was a tax collector named Zacchaeus. Jesus didn't snuff him out. He went into his house. Because a smoldering wick, he will not snuff out. Let me tell you about my Jesus. Let me tell you about how he goes through his ministry. And at the end of his life, he died for our sins. He's this lamb led to the slaughter. He got mishpat for everybody else. But he didn't do it with military power. He didn't do it with political power. He did it with love. And he laid him in the grave, but he was faithful to the end. See, that's the thing. He was bruised and, and, and battered and beaten. And yet somehow he carried it out because of the resurrection. Faithful to the end. A long obedience in the same direction. And then, and then Mr. Ethiopian eunuch, let me tell you about what my Jesus said. He said, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Holy Spirit. And he says, you're an Ethiopian. You're from Africa. That's all nations. And the eunuch said, and that right there is water. What prevents me from being baptized? They said, I think you're right. There's some paraphrase, but that's baptize him right there. Oh, let me tell you about my Jesus. If I just had one, if I just had a few closing minutes to tell you about my Jesus, I would, and it's a minor theme in the Bible. You don't notice, but you come to something like this and it becomes obvious. This thread is all through the Bible and it's the thread of bruising, bruising. Did you know you can trace that thread of bruising? Because people think, oh, I'm, I'm too messed up, I'm too hurt, I'm bruised. Listen to me carefully. Do you realize the theme of bruising? That thread goes all the way back to the first book in the Bible. The theme of bruising goes all the way back. A bruised reed he will not break, a smoldering wick he will not snuff out. That bruising goes all the way back to the very first book of the Bible, to the first time the gospel was ever preached. The first time the gospel was ever preached, it was preached to a snake. God preached the gospel. Theologians called it the proto-euangelion, if you're curious. It's the first time a gospel was ever preached. Here's how it went down. Adam and Eve have sinned. Justice is perfectly just. 
The wages of sin is death. They'll be kicked out of the garden. Curses are pronounced on the man, the woman, and then the serpent. And when he gives the serpent the curse, you'll crawl on the dust of the ground, the belly. He gives a prophecy, and you can't miss it. It is the gospel. It is good news. It's the only good news. And even in the fall of man, there's this silver lining. There's this good news. There's this hope. And he looks at the snake, and he says, here's the deal. One day, a descendant of Eve will come, and he will crush your head, Satan. All evil will be done. It'll be over. He will crush your head, but you will bruise his heel. Bruising. You might think that's a, that's a strange illustration. That's a strange analogy. Bruise the heel. I mean, like, there's a, there's a prophecy about a heel bruise. Like, what? Contusion. Like, what, what's going on with that? It's not strange at all. It's not strange at all, is it? If, if you... If you had, if your loved ones, if your children are gathered and, 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 or your grandchildren are there, these precious little loved ones, and a poisonous snake, a viper comes to destroy them. A viper's coming to bite them and to put venomous poison into them. What do you do? You crush that serpent. You crush that viper. But when you crush a deadly poisonous viper, he's going to bite your heel. And the poison that was going to go into them now is absorbed in you. You face that poison. You absorb that poison so that these people you love could be healed. And in the servant songs, right here in Isaiah, the Bible says what? Oh, he was wounded for our transgressions. And the old King James says, he was bruised for our iniquities. And by his stripes, we are healed. That's why if you're a bruised reed this morning, you've got to come back to Jesus. You're not going to find healing anywhere else except in the one who is bruised for our iniquities. If you're a smoldering wick this morning, you're not going to reignite your flame looking anywhere else but full into the face of Jesus Christ who allowed himself to be snuffed out so that any smoldering wick, it doesn't matter how down low you are, he can reignite you. He can do that. Because a bruised reed, he will not break. A smoldering wick, he will not snuff out this morning. He was bruised for us and our salvation. Let's pray. God, thank you for this good news that a bruised reed, you will not break. A smoldering wick, you won't snuff out. I pray for any bruised reeds who hear this message right now. Or more likely they'll be forwarded this message. Somehow it will come to them. They'll get a YouTube link or something and they're watching it and they're right now, they need a come back to Jesus moment right now. God grant it to them. So if they're here right now or they're watching this at some point in the future, God grant to them by a touch of your Holy Spirit, draw them back. They're, they're like a smoldering wick. They need to be reignited this morning. And God, thank you for a church that longs to be longs to have the character of the servant. God, let, let more and more, let your character of your servant be formed in us. Let it be reproduced in us. Just like his quiet humility, we would be marked by lives of quiet humility. Just like his compassion for the bruised reed and smoldering wick, we too would have compassion for the fragile and the broken. And just like he was faithful to the end, let us be faithful to the end. Be a light to the nations. We thank you, God, that we live on the other side of the cross, burial, and resurrection. We get to see what Isaiah could only foresee. We get to see, in fact, what Isaiah saw by faith. 
we get to know and know the details of how Isaiah 42 was actually played out in history. And we thank you for that. We don't take that lightly. Let that propel us to greater mission and deeper love for you. We ask all this in the matchless name of our servant King, Jesus. Amen. I'm glad you were here today. If the Lord wills, we will uh, continue in Isaiah. Uh, we, will, we will be faithful to the end. There is a chapter 66 somewhere in there. I checked. It's coming. And uh, if you're uh, off to school this week, may the Lord bless you and you know that you have our prayers. We're praying at 4 o'clock and uh, blessing those that are going on. At this time, uh, oh, yes, I forgot. Uh, Pastor BJ uh, pointed at this. The, uh, uh, I mentioned we had a baptism. Praise the Lord. And uh, that is kind of connected to this Discover First class we had. We had it by Zoom. If you're not a member here at Coleman First Baptist, by the way, I mean, I'm glad you're here. You can attend as long as you like. But if you want to go from a tender to member, why not sign up for the next Discover First class? And that's where we go over. Here's what's expected of members. And if you want to be a member, here's what you want. Well, we did one Sunday night. We had three couples join. And all three couples decided, yes, this is what the Lord's leading us to. And so we have three couples joining our church today for which we praise the Lord. The first, I want you to meet, uh, they come to the 8 a.m. service, and that's Glenn and Glenda Cobb, and that's who we baptized. So there's Glenn and Glenda Cobb. They were waiting. uh, The only thing for church membership for them was baptism by immersion, and so they took that step of faith this morning, and next Sunday you're going to get to see the video of that uh, baptismal service. We'll show it at the 9.30 and the 10.45 so that you'll get to see them be baptized. Uh, And that's it. They, they, They... certain of their salvation, now baptized by immersion, like literally like three hours ago. And so all that remains is for the members of Coleman First Baptist to vote in these new members, Miss Glenda and Mr. Glenn Cobb. And so if you rejoice with me in welcoming Glenn and Glenda into the full fellowship and membership of Coleman First Baptist Church, signify your vote by raising your hand saying, praise the Lord. Praise Praise the Lord. Lord. All right. An overwhelming majority there. Second is uh, these next two couples are joining by letter. So they've certain of their salvation. They've already been baptized by believer's baptism. And now all that remains is uh, to make it official. And uh, it's technically coming by letter, if uh, uh, you understand that tradition. Robin and Jana Henderson. And they come to the 930 service, or they, they were at the 930 today. And so I think, yeah, that's, that's so great. I think we need pictures like, uh, I, we should like do this for random members. We should just, you know, name tag Sunday. Here, that's Robin and Jana. Uh, but that, that, that is they. And 930 service. So uh, all that remains, if you rejoice with me in welcoming Robin and Jana into the full fellowship and membership of Coleman First Baptist Church, signify by raise your hands and praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. And last but not least, Wayne and Rhonda McManus. And Wayne and Rhonda, I believe that's Holly Pond, Alabama. There take the, uh, I don't, that's so beautiful. I don't know. Like, that's what we should do. We should, like, church members around the world, and you climb Mount Everest, and we show you on Sunday. With, I love this. Um, Wayne and Rhonda are also coming by letter. So if you rejoice with me in welcoming Wayne and Rhonda into the full fellowship and membership of Coleman First Baptist Church, signify by raising your hand saying, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. And finally, an overwhelming majority there. All three services, all overwhelming majorities. And so we welcome these three couples into Coleman First Baptist, and we praise the Lord for what he's doing. And Pastor BJ, am I right? We have got to. When all this blows over, we are going to have the biggest new members reception, and it's going to be like Hugfest 3000. I mean, we are are going to be able to uh, smile and not have masks and all that, and we look forward to welcome all these that God is adding to our church 
And they can always say, I joined during a pandemic. Maybe we'll have t-shirts made. Okay, I'm going to, yeah. (laughs) Would you stand your feet across the room? It's been such a joy to worship the Lord with you today. We hope you have a great week. We hope you'll join us tonight at 4 p.m. as we come and gather and pray uh, for our students and teachers in our community. Our benediction today is going to come from number six. May the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. And all God's people say, amen. Have a great week.